Welcome back to the Don't Worry About It podcast, where we talk all things mental health related from anxiety to depression, from happiness to sadness, and all emotions and feelings in between. My name is David Izzo, and I started this podcast to help facilitate conversations regarding mental health. If you missed the last few episodes, I highly recommend you go back and listen to them. I believe this is episode number 12, which is crazy to me. It felt like really rolling. I'm really proud of this podcast. I'm really thankful to you guys for listening. It means the world to me. Uh, the last episode was with Ayat Sofer. I found it to be really, really strong listening back. I'm really proud of him. I thought he did an incredible job. I know I left him out an island a couple of times. I'm, I'm working on getting better at it. But for today's episode, I invited Effie Hirschman onto the podcast. Effie's a friend of mine that I met in our gap year in Israel, and he's somebody that I've been really grateful to have in my life, somebody I really talked to. And I can confidently say that the conversation we, we had is exactly the same one we'd have in person, which... I think you're all going to really enjoy. Thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy the interview. Effie, welcome to the Don't Worry About It podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, brother. Thanks so much for having me. How you doing? I'm good. I'm really, really excited to get you on. You're like one of my the best people that I know that listen to that that listen to this. That you give me like the best feedback. So now to actually have you on as a guest has got me like very, very pumped up. Well, I'm I'm super excited. You know what? I mean, the quality of these podcasts has been spectacular, and um, you know, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Thank you so much. I mean, you really you've done an amazing job, and I think you're making an amazing platform for people to both tell and share and hear stories that that could really change their lives and the perception of themselves and learn a lot from. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. Um, I'm working hard on taking compliments. My first reaction right there was to <laughs> brush it off completely, but so I'm gonna accept it. To an extent, but I'm also because I'm me. I'm just me. I'm still working. Sure. On it. I'm gonna hedge because I'm actually <laughs> gonna give some credit to you for this podcast because um, I had met. We had met um, for people who don't know. Uh, we had met in Reishi, uh the gap year program that we took after high school together. Um, we went on the same. We were in the same program, and we kind of. I remember meeting you. I know I'd met you um, a couple times. We'd cross paths, and I remember you being like this really open, funny guy, but I never really gotten a chance to really talk to you one-on-one. And it must've been one of the first few nights or one of the first few weekends we'd, I don't remember the exact moment we'd started talking, but I remember leaving that going, ah, that guy, I know I can talk to that guy. That guy's got, that guy's very thought provoking, very interested. And I, that was a point in my time where I was, you know, emotionally out of control in a lot of ways. And I was just being very crazy and, 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 and everything was kind of overflowing. And I was very lucky to have somebody like you. And it ended up, in my opinion, creating a really, to this day, I think is such a great bond and such a friendship that lasts through time, that time can so, time can really pass, but whenever we jump on a call sure. or see each other, it completely translates. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what, don't, 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 don't beat yourself up about being crazy then because you stick a bunch of, what, 75, 18-year-olds living by themselves for the first time in a foreign country, just, I mean, I think everyone is nuts. I think, I think, I don't think you're the only person that was going crazy, that, you know, I mean, that's just going experiencing growing up there it's it's um i think everyone at that age in that circumstance in those in that context is just all riled up anyway so you know it's not just you <laughs> i i just think that when when how this podcast came to be is a culmination of so many conversations with 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 a lot of people but not really like a handful of really important people that i've met or i've been able to talk to at crucial points in my life and i think that all culminates in how this podcast came to be. And I actually remember um, one that we had, it was on our second year. It must've been around November, probably December time. We had gone, we just decided we like, 
like, yo, let's go for a walk. And we went to like this little park that's like right by Reishi. I think we maybe have brought a couple cigars, maybe a little whiskey. Yeah, that sounds right. A little whiskey, <laughs> like something that we do instead of, I think this time, instead of going onto the Reishi roof, we went to this little park and we were just having a conversation about life. And we were talking about, you know, what comes next. You were, you were leaving in December um, to go to go to co- to go to Binghamton to go to college. I was leaving. I was planning on staying until uh, March ish, and we were just talking about what comes next. And I remember, and I to this day I'll never forget. I asked you like, what what is it like that you want to do? And you Disney, you t- you talked about Disney and you want to work for Disney. And I think that's a. I, I'm just curious to learn a little bit more about where this passion, this love for Disney, came from. Oh man, well. So it's very deep rooted and there's actually a romantic side and there's a realistic side, kind of like everything else. Um, And I tend to be a more romantic type individual, uh, you know, head in the clouds, best case scenario, optimist, or at least I try to be. Um, I think it's in my nature, though. And, you know, the Disney, whether it's Disney World or the original Disney movies or the classics or, you know, anything about the everything about the company that it does. Um, not only does it do well, but it really tends to, you know, tell a, a mag- magnificent narrative and it emphasizes very wholesome and very uh, wholesome values that I don't think are exclusively for children. And I think that if everyone, you know, were to take these again and you call them superficial, call them just trying to appeal to, you know, children and parents and call them trying to make a buck on your theme park, what, you know, whatever the motivation may be, uh, that, you know, they, 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 the, the final result, you can't really argue with. It's really just, uh, it's, it's, it's quality, wholesome family value narrative uh, that really brings you in and really makes you part of a world. Um, you know, and I've read many books about the company. I've read many books about Disney himself. I've read many books, you know, I, 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 I go there with my friends. I go there with my family. I watch the movies on a regular basis. Um, you, can't, you can't make it up. And, and, and I just feel that the more that you instill these kind of values, the better society is and the better the world around you is. And I wanted to contribute very. I wanted to contribute to that uh, with all my heart, and that's really what my fixation was. It was just something to um, contribute and share to something that had such a positive impact on me, and my family, and something that could continue to have a positive impact for the world around for as long as as long as America's you know relevant uh, in the picture. So, um, yeah, that's that, that's where it came from. So I'm I'm really interested in diving in into this because uh, I mean I. I'm, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed Disney Channel movies growing up. Uh, Lion King to this day is one of my like favorite movies ever. I think I try and watch it once a year just because I think there's a lot. And there's a lot to learn. There's a lot there um, about. I mean, obviously we can we can go. There's a lot in there to go go to. But you know, these Disney's move Disney movies are shown to children, but they obviously they have lessons that can appeal to anything to to adults in life. Anytime you watch one of these movies, they'll take something different out of it but it, what it does is it install right you said installs values installs culture in, into children that's they're very impressionable kids and they're taking it in and then these kids kind of grow up and they i think nowadays we're kind of realizing we have a mental health crisis on our hands as kids and and, 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 and our teens and that's not deniable i it's hard to deny that and i wonder 
what the role that movies play in kids and how Disney plays, I think, a role in that because they're the main them and Pixar. I mean, the them too, really right? Drive, right. drive the movies nowadays. Have you seen? So I'm not. I don't want to. I think they did a really good job back in the day. I wonder if maybe as a Disney enthusiast, you've seen the change, and if you could maybe identify where that was. Um. <clears throat> yeah. There, there. There's. There's been a good amount of change. I think that a lot of it was. Um, a lot of the success was fairly fortuitous. I think that. Uh, I mean, just you know, based on reading, you know, the way that a lot of these movies came to be. Uh, there's a great book called Disney War um, by James Stewart, which kind of goes into the whole, it dives into the history of the company from the from the late 80s to the early 2000s. And, uh, and you know, that was the time that they came out with Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, The Little Mermaid, Mulan. So you got, you got, you got a real sense. I mean, they, 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 they were massively successful. Um, but... A, a big part of that was Roy Disney, uh, who was Walt's nephew, just, you know, there, there's, there's commercial appeal and there's, you know, the giant corporation that's trying to, you know, that's a big public company and they have responsibility to their shareholders. And then there's the creative side. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know how much the corporate leaders have to do with the quality of the storytelling as much as the Roy Disney-like characters, the animators, the storytellers that, you know, don't care as much about the bottom line nearly as much as producing quality content, uh, which is something that Pixar also, uh, you know, I mean, historically cared tremendously about. And they actually had a, a guideline of, of, you know, of stereotypes that they're not allowed to do in their, in their movies. You know, you can't have... Um, you can't have classic characters. If you notice that all Pixar movies, um, you know, whether it's Monsters, Inc., whether it's Finding Nemo, whether it's Ratatouille, there's no, cla- even, the, even the Incredibles are just superheroes. And then there's no classic love story either. It's never just, a, you know, princess meets a prince, falls in love. Like, there's always love stories, but it's a different type of love. There's a love that, for example, in the movie Up, you know, there's a, there's a, the movie starts with, just you know, some with with a young, exciting love between you know two kids. <clears throat> it goes through their lives very briefly, and then the the relationship changes from the love that this old man who's left without his wife, a widower, and this young this young man who's about 11, 12 years old that has no father, and the way that they're able to establish and develop their relationship. So they kind of actually take a lot of the relevant. Um, moments in our lives um you know whether it be a disconnect between a kid and a parent whether it be a disconnect between a husband and a wife what to do when you're feeling all alone how to how to move on with your life when you're feeling all alone and they really actually do acknowledge a lot of it um yeah they 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 really do a spectacular job um i'm gonna i might get a lot of crap for this i think for a lot of reasons i i'd heard about this movie and i think from what you say, it sounds like a movie. Don't tell me you haven't seen it. I, I have, and I haven't. Listen, I haven't had. Oh, I've heard what it God. does, and I've been. Listen, I'm working on the emotional stuff now, but you know, until like recently, <laughs> I just like turned it back on like eight, twelve, like ten to twelve months ago. Matt, like maybe even a little, little like it's been. It's only been a few months. Like I'm still working back on some emotions that are coming back in and ups. Like my people have told me, like listen, I watched Inside Out 
when it came out, probably 2015, that was 2015 Pixar movie. Inside Out did shit to me that I'm still recovering for. I've tried multiple <laughs> times to rewatch that movie because I know how good it was. And how unbel- I think it's one of, the, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I just haven't been able to pull the trigger and rewatch it because I know how strong it is and, what it, it, and how powerful that movie is. I think it does such an incredible job. And I think Up, from all you're talking about, is something that I'd be so interested in doing. I've just been too scared. To be honest, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm just been a little too scared. Yeah. Hopefully, I hope I hope to watch it soon. Maybe it'll be I'll have the courage after this conversation to get into it. The truth is that the first about I say the first five minutes are the heaviest emotionally. Um, actually, there was at one point in college. It's very funny. I used to I used to watch that scene, and every single time I'd watch the opening scene, I would cry. Like without like like not like tear, not like you know oh you say I'm crying or like. like Full on sobbing, hysterical crying. Uh, I'm tearing actually now. Think uh, you know, just just thinking about it. And I used to call my mom, and then I used to be crying into the phone. And then she'd say, "Are you watching Up Again?" And I'd be like, "Yeah." And you know, I mean, and and you know, aside from those first five minutes, um, they do a really good job balancing the intensity of the emotional um, struggles, conflict, and re- resolution. And obviously making it a kid-friendly and, you know, entertaining and even wholesomely funny. Um, you know, a lot of humor, you know, is dependent on inappropriate words, inappropriate actions, curse words, people getting hurt. You know, a lot of, a lot of the quality of the humor, especially in Disney and Pixar movies, is much more clean and wholesome than, you know, than a lot of other type of comedy that, you know, that, that other studios produce. Uh, which also, I think, has an impact on the culture that Disney and Pixar have. Interesting. Uh, listen, I, I want to watch it. I want to want to watch it. <laughs> you just don't know if you will. <laughs> I mean, I hope. I hope one day. Well, I'm getting better. Listen, uh, I, I mean, the way you're talking about, like, the way it makes you emotional. I can get emotional, but I, I don't. The crying stuff isn't isn't here yet. I thought uh, I was hoping to an extent that I would uh, that it would happen more recently. I just watched uh, one of my best friends in the entire world, probably like such an important guy walked down his wedding aisle and i luckily i had no pressures because i've done that in the past where i was like oh i'm supposed to cry at this thing so i'd like be like you got like you, you're supposed to feel a certain way and once i put my pressure on that myself i would just be sitting there like watching some powerful moment going like robot turn on like do something like i felt so robotic sure. whole, this sure, time sure. when i watched him and his wife each separately walk down the aisle and them together making like it all going on. I, I, I was overwhelmed with emotion, but I, I didn't, I didn't shed a tear. So I'm hoping that, I mean, I think that's a real big step up for me. So I'm super, super excited about that. Um, definitely mm-hmm. less of a robot than I was before, which is cool. <laughs> Listen, being a robot. What? I don't think you're ever a robot, by the way, you're emotional, but you just, cause you could, but you, I mean, it's just a matter of turning yourself off, which, you know, I, I happen to be incredibly emotional. I'm very good at distancing myself from my, my emotions when it's me feeling them. I'll be watching a movie and I can feel for them. But if it's going to be me experiencing that emotion, I'm very, very good at, right. uh, at taking that inside step backwards and, and saying, I'm not in this moment right now. And so I'm not going to feel it. Um, how does that impact you? <laughs> how does it impact me? Well, it's not, <laughs> it's not great. Um, it's, so there's different types of depth of relationship that I have. Um, and certain, you know, so you can have a friend, you can have a family member, you can have a girlfriend, you can have a best friend, uh, cousin, and each relationship requires a different level of investment and um, participation. 
And it actually manifests itself most strongly with my siblings uh, because I'm supposed to be closer to them, you know, and I know that they're the closest people in the world with me. And I still, you know, I take a step back. I, I, I it's, it's, uh, I happen to be the oldest of six, um, 24 years old, 24 and a half. Uh, and we're, in a, we're a very, very tight knit family. Uh, and I just, you know, so, so, it, so we get along very well. And I would, and I would say the way, the way that we get along a lot of times is a relationship of being good friends. And when my siblings need me, they open up to me. But when it comes to my investment in them, I take a step back. It's very difficult for me to allow myself to feel, <clears throat> excuse me, that level of vulnerability or weakness, I guess, um, in confiding in them, telling them I feel lost, telling them I feel scared and hopeless and telling them that I have no idea what's going on and I just don't know what to do with myself. I'm very good when people tell that to me. I'm not very good at telling that to people. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it meant, so it, it's, it manifests, it's, it's hard on the relationship because I think that they sense it. Um, but it also leaves a lot for me to figure out myself because a lot of times if you don't have a way to vent it out and talk it out, um, then a lot of times people will either be confused or they'll have, they'll have to figure out a way to figure themselves out. Um, so, so I actually am fortunate enough to know myself pretty well. I know how to handle you know, the, the, those kind of emotions, which are, I think, regular emotions that everyone experiences, just not everyone either knows how to deal with it or has the, you know, or has the support system or, you know, just knows how to handle it. It's interesting that you use the word handle there instead of feel. As opposed to? Feel. Ooh, right. <laughs> I handled, no, I, I, only reason I'm, I'm saying this because I'm thinking, as you're speaking, I'm, I can relate to this because I, I feel... I'm like that as well. I'm. Re- I, I agree with you. I think I'm also. I think I'm pretty good at dealing with other people's emotions, but when it comes to my own, I put my emotions always last. Like, I. I mean, I, I think I put my mind last. Like, I'm not. I'm not really great at that other part, and I think. And I wonder. I mean, you mentioned it with your siblings, but you kind of related it. It affects you in other relationships with friendships and potentially in relationships as well. I sure, wonder sure. is that is it like I because I view my emotions the same way as I have to handle handle these feel these feelings and i i think the the maybe the, i don't know if it's a solution or like maybe the action step is to stop trying to control to i learned in the last episode with a it's over um who, right. who changed everything for me in terms of vulnerability it's a concept i've been grappling with and fighting with for three years now like heavily like researching reading Brene, reading Brene brown listening to Brene brown she's like one of the biggest experts on vulnerability yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, but it never clicked for me until he mentioned it's about control. And I think the way control is used is handling is a way of control, right? When you're, someone says you need to control a situation, I, then I've, I think it associates so clearly with the word, I need to handle this person. Or when I'm dealing with a relationship, I'm handling them. I'm not, and I'm trying, no, I'm not connecting. I wonder if that's a defense mechanism. Is it a, what do you think? What do you think it is? So I'm thinking a lot and I'm going and I'm thinking on the spot over here. So you're going to have to give me a little bit of patience, you know, you have to extend a little bit of patience, but I actually think that there's a difference between feeling and giving up control. I think that it's a slippery slope when someone says, give up control to your emotions. 
or give up control to, you know, whatever it may be, you know, just accept the fact you don't have control. I have a big problem with that because you can control things, but everything has its time and place and everything requires a certain level of investment. Everything requires a certain level of participation. And, you know, for example, um, you know, a very generic example that very many people can relate to, uh, you know, when I, when I had a fairly recent breakup about, I guess, six, almost six months ago now, I guess. Wow. Um, a while ago. Um, it, uh, you know, there, there was two, I could either have shut out my feelings or I could have understood the fact that I was feeling something and feeling a lot and it wasn't very pleasant. Um, but the difference is that I knew that in order to continue with my life, I had to feel, so I allowed the space for feeling. I allowed the space for pain and for misery and for, you know, wallowing either in bed or writing or, you know, crying or venting or whatever it may be. But then once I, once I treated that wound, that emotional wound, you know, with the proper care and the proper feeling, I was able to get myself back into my control. And I don't think that that's an inherently unhealthy thing. I think that, I think that it helps you learn yourself and learn the way. Hey, everyone feels things very differently, and everyone requires very different, um, re, you know, responses to events that occur to them. And if you don't know yourself, then you won't know the healthiest way to go about it, um, and you can, and you might not be able to solve it. Um, so losing control is is step one or part one saying i'm going to feel i'm not going to shut this out i'm going to you know let my my life you know something did happen to me something traumatic did happen to me let me let i'm going to let what happened i'm going to i'm going to acknowledge it i'm going to treat it and then i'm going to and then i'm going to own it and move forward and i think that that's a healthier way of going about it how are you able to start this off by saying you're gonna have to give me a, a second to process because there's a lot i'm thinking on the spot here to then concisely and really really strongly break it down in easy to consume parts i mean i understood everything you just said i'm relating to everything you just said i'm blown away you just did that on the spot so you clearly are talented in the way that you're able to concisely understand concepts and explain them well and clearly able to think on your feet as well as also you clearly have put some thought into this I put years of thought into this and it's always been developing, but I'm a, I'm also a storyteller. That's, that's, you know, I mean, I was a right, I, I was a creative writing major in college and I write all the time and, you know, I, I love to speak publicly. I love, to, I, I love to tell stories. So it, it happens to be something that does not come naturally, but it's something that was worked on for so many years that, you know, even as the thought is developing, I hope I'm not rambling, but that it, you know that that that, that I, I I I try to get the point across quickly, without being too wordy and just getting it done. No, you did. That was really really Thank strong. You. I want to jump back in. Um, you're talking about you know creating spaces, and it was in the context of a relationship. Do you? I guess in relationships, I I, I listen. I'm no expert on relationships. I've got little to no experience in them. I've never allowed myself to ever put myself in a situation to get there because I was terrified of. <laughs> what would happen. Um, there's a lot sure. in there that I can get into, but I guess my first question is how did this affect, how did your abilities with emotions or to dis distance them? How does that impact your, 
impact relationships in in a dating aspect i guess it's not a great question but i feel like no it's 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 a phenomenal question it's um so i've had a couple excuse me i had a couple of really of like serious relationships i'd say about three or four um one of them as long as two and a half years and you know obviously other other relationships are short as a date or two um the and and it was obviously a constant process because uh but i'm a natural giver by my in in my i in my i guess in, in my relationships i like to be the person that's sharing i like to be the person <clears throat> that's providing and it's actually interesting because it comes originally from a place of total psychological weakness and fear and actually has developed into coming from a much not i won't even say healthier but much different place of i don't need anything from you because i'm in more than enough by myself that i don't i don't want anything from you you know and if there's going to be anything in this relationship i'll be the one providing it um but because of that there was a lot more time spent focusing on the other individual while dating than while focusing on myself and um the pro- obviously there are many problems with that one of the major problems is that you really you become exhausted uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you know, <clears throat> after always giving and never having a moment to share, never having a moment to receive, uh, you know, and we're talking, you know, strictly, uh, you know, emotionally at this, at this point, um, because again, you know, I don't care whether you've officially been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or, you know, or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, uh, or whether you're just, a person going through life and trying to figure out their place and who they are, everyone's going to need, you know, a rock. Everyone's going to need someone to lean on. You know, it's not good. People are relationship oriented animals. So, you know, if you're going to be the only one that, if it's going to be one way, you're going to get tired out real quickly. So, uh, I, so I'm actually, one of my biggest problems that I have to work on is feeling comfortable enough to say, listen, you know, I really could use someone to talk to right now. I really could use, and yeah, I'm really feeling this way right now, and I don't know how to handle it. And please, you know, let me, you know, let me tell you how I'm feeling or what would make, or, you know, what would help me feel better in this scenario. And, I, and, and it's something that I've struggled with tremendously. It's unbelievable how honest and open you're being about such an such a struggle that's affected you in, 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 in a myriad of ways, especially one in terms of relationships now that you know it i guess what are how do you how right there's there's a few steps where i didn't actually better just right it's identifying a problem is always i always think i always believe is the first step allowing yourself to understand that you have a problem then step two is isolating it like right it's picking it out isolating it from anything else and depicting it and then three is you know what steps can you take so what are you now that you've identified this problem you've isolated what are you what are steps that you're that you're actively trying to take to solve it. So, yeah, you actually touched on the point that <clears throat> I want to get back to later on, if you wouldn't mind, which is actually the, 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 you know, the whole huge conversation as to converting um, thoughts or ideas into action and into something and manifesting it in itself in real life. Because it's very easy, especially for me to, you know, I mean, I just happen to be someone that, I, I get ideas quickly. I understand ideas quickly. It's easy for me to wrap my head around them. 
but when it comes to making from bringing that to, from a concept to a physical form, it's much harder to do. Um, the truth is that the only experience I had um, was in what is perhaps not was not the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. I'm not going to go into tremendous detail just for privacy of the other person. Actually, I really couldn't care you know less about being open myself, but um, it was just. It was just, I would sit there and it would be, and I, and I would start to say, you know, hey, I'm starting to feel, and then I would stop myself. And then they'd say, what? And I'd say, no, 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 nothing, never mind. And then it's just, you know, and a lot, you know, so either the person would continue to prod or the person will drop it and say, okay. But it was up to me at that point to say, this, you know, I'm telling, and, and it even helps to preface it with, this is not easy for me to say, but this. You know, or, uh, uh, you know, this is not easy for me to admit, but I feel this way because of that. And I, 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 you know, and I'm sorry and I feel sheepish and I feel stupid with these words coming out of my mouth. But at the end of the day, it's what's healthiest. And it actually, you know, and, you, and, and as soon as it's done, you feel a combination of just absolute terror that you just opened yourself up. And then the feeling of a little bit of relief that. Okay, well, you know that that's that's out there now. You know that's what what else do you do about it? You know, so um, that that was that was really pretty much what I needed because uh, that's what I needed to do. And it, listen, it, 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 at the end of the day, it didn't work out. So I can't say that it was the best thing in the world, but I could say that I definitely feel healthier about relationships after putting in the effort to make that happen. Yeah, I think. I mean, depending on what the goal was, if the goal, whatever the goal was, if is it, that's the thing with, with relationships are is you're just trying to find one, right? You're trying to find that one person that it works with. Could it work with multiple people? I don't know. I, if you believe in, I think, yes, I, I, if you believe in soulmates, I won't, I won't argue with you. I, I'm, I don't know where I think I don't stand on soulmates. I think you can make, I think you can make it work successfully and happily and love and in love with, with more than one person in, in your life. Um, I think it's all about where you personally are. I think there's a reason why. I think there's a reason why. Even if there were soulmates, we didn't. We don't know who they are. You know, like there's not a there's not a moment that goes ding 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 when you meet your soulmate. You know, it's not it's not like that. So there's a reason why you don't know who they are because it could be. I, I believe with just um, a variety of people. But but I think you can you I I can safely say that if you going through this experience has changed you and in my opinion has made you and that being able to say that and to feel that way seems to have overcome some anxiety that you had. And as sure. you, or, 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 or walls that I built up, sure, we call well, them knocking I, down I, walls. I would call them, I mean, they manifest, the, the anxiety manifests or whatever, the emotions manifest into walls. And you've now, right. you've now taken an emotion, a wrecking ball that knocked down that emotional wall that prevents you from, like, I, lo- I love the word you use, creating a shared space earlier. So I'm going to take it and use it here to create, you create able to break down walls that allowed you to create a space to share emotions. And whether that was reciprocal, and when you share and you open up like that, you're vulnerable. And you're and you're actually you're at risk to being hurt, to being any anything can happen to you in that moment. You're a defense. You're uh, in sports. You're a receiver going over the middle of the field. You can get crushed, or you can, or it can be a great play, and you can go safely. But you you're out there, and maybe clear. I mean, as you said, it didn't work out this time, but you now allowed yourself the ability. You're not afraid, in a way, now to go over the middle or to to open up those walls. And it now can create a space, some with it with another partner that it can work, that may, right? To allow yourself to get there, if that makes sense. 
Well, and the truth is that a lot of times you know, there, there, there is a real reason why people are afraid to do that. And, and the real reason is because you really could get, like, you, are, like, you really are opening up the likelihood of getting hurt. So, you know, the likelihood is actually significantly higher once you do that. Um, you know, so for example, uh, you know, if let's just say there's an incredibly personal thing about me and nobody knows it, you know, and it's something that I realized about myself and it's this fear that I've, I've had to share because I'm incredibly embarrassed by it. And I finally tell some, I tell that to somebody right now, they have access, they have access to a weapon essentially, you know, to use, to be able to hurt me. And you're essentially handing somebody an ability to really devastate you. Um, on the other hand, you're trusting that they don't do that. So, you know, I, I think the fear comes from a very real and very valid place. I think that especially if you don't have, if you don't know who the person is that you're dealing with and then you give them a weapon, you don't know what they're going to do with it. So you have to make sure that the person that you're going to be investing in, the person that you're going to be giving that potential weapon too is someone that's going that's going to know how to use it you want to you know I mean, you give it yeah no so i want to take i want yeah. to take it actually a step further because i think i agree with everything but i think you left out the important part where you right you hand them the weapon you you have to make sure you have to open up with the right person but you hand them a weapon they can use that weapon to devastate you but that weapon can actually be used for the inverse of, of devastate sure. if they if they if right. they take it and it works and you, create, you enter that shared space, you have the option. No, you're totally right. I guess, I guess in my experience, I never had that. So I never, I never thought to articulate that. But thank you for catching me. Because that, that is important. That's true. No, not yet. But I think that should know. But I, I'm such a big believer in the words that we use. And I, 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 don't, I don't love to like stick in every word that everyone uses. But I just I started paying attention to language that people have used. And it started with me, and now I listen, try and listen to other people, and it tells you a lot about what they think of themselves when they describe a certain situation that you saying, right, not even, like for me, it was right when you are talking about it, I was waiting for you to bring in the inverse, but the fact, because you haven't had, not yet, in my opinion, I, I believe it's going to happen for you. Not, We're all holding our breath. Not, yeah. not yet. <laughs> not yet, which is different. Sure. Not yet to get there, but when it does, you can have that opportunity, but the only way to get that is to allow yourself to be devastated right or at least allow the potential for you to be devastated right yeah i so, don't think that it always has to result in pain. you just know you just caught me myself because i'm so fixated on being the only aspect of being sure. devastated myself that's right 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 so for example there has been information that i've shared that i really felt if if things go south i'm in big trouble because <laughs> you know like you know, I, if things go, if things go, and, you know, inevitably they did, but the weapon never came out, you know, and think, and th or at least not yet. And I hope it never does. Uh, it's a matter of trust, but, you know, and that's it. And it says, you know what? It's like, it's like you give somebody, you know, my, my, you know, if my roommate has, has decides that he wants to get a gun or a pistol or whatever it is, you know, you want to make sure that he knows how to use it, you know, and you hope that he never does use it. And, you know, he could use it to protect you and he could use it to accidentally harm you or you could just keep it in, locked up locked up locked up in the in the garage for for the next 30 years and you know and and no one will ever hear from it again so i think all three i think all three options are very likely um or you know and, and, but that but that fear of vulnerability definitely comes from a very real and potentially very scary place and i think you were going there and i, I apologize if i cut you off but i want to take it here is um you were actually talking about you want to make sure that the person you're opening up to is that you're at that stage because there's, I mean, I've heard a lot of examples from 
both guys and girls. Guy, a lot of times it's the guy who opened up too early to the girl and the girl talking about how the guy opened up too early. Um, sure. But there is a moment where you have to make sure that you're not, you're, you, that the other person, that you're in that same place where it's, that you've at least done the work and the time to create that shared space. I, I hear a lot of people all the time wondering, like, if you, everyone has baggage, and when do you bring that baggage up? How best ways to bring that baggage up? Why are you choosing certain times to bring it up? It's all very calculating. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, you're just trying to create a shared space with that other person. And if you do that work, I hope. Listen, I'm a hopeful guy right now, and I haven't, I don't have much experience. It's very likely that I'm going to get some. I hope to now. I'm opening back up, and hoping to get to that sure. place. But um, it's definitely something that that's always in the back of my mind, like. More, like I'm gonna like open up, but I honestly I, I've been very impressed. I, I I when I started this podcast, I thought for sure um, men would be less open to sharing than females would be, and I'm all my guests so far have been men, not by like choice. I'm I love to have the female perspective on um, on this podcast. I'd love to hear what they they think, but I've noticed that men have been a lot more open. I wonder how that affects. I've been blown away. I've been blown away by how by how articulate and how open people are. It's it's, it's really surprising. Spectacular. I, I I say it like all the time with to, to friends. I, I believe I've said it to you. Like if you would have asked me like who would be more open to coming on, men men or women, I would have assumed it would be women. But maybe I mean I think there's sure. I think there's a lot of reasons now that I think back on it. Why not? But if there are any women that are listening to this and you're interested in coming on, please please do. I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, we're just two men talking about our perspectives and not that I'm going to make it gender specific, but so far it's just been male dominated and we'd love to. So all that we've been talking about is kind of reminding me of a story um, and that story about us where we met, um, you know, there was start again. So all this has got me thinking about, you know, the time where we, um, we had a social interaction. I think it plays into a lot of these emotions that we were talking about where I had walked into Holy Schnitzel on the Upper West Side. It was about seven months ago. It was in the winter. I remember it was very cold. And I walked in. I looked looked into my left. And who did I see? I saw you sitting with our good friend, mutual good friend, Vera Ofer, the best. And um, and you guys were you know eating dinner together. You guys were sitting down. I think you had just ordered. And I was coming in to pick up my order. And I saw you guys. And I was shocked. I came I came. I was over. so I excited said, to see you. Uh, I was like, you got to come yeah, sit down, man. Yeah, it was great. So you guys invited me to sit down and I walked in there with my own preconceived thoughts and notions. And as we spoke about, you know, when you live on when you live on the Upper West Side, you run into a ton of people. It's a very everyone in, who's anyone or everybody knows everybody there. And I never like to when I go out, I just under sometimes I just don't want to be bothered. So I'll throw a hood up or I'll be very in, in, in trying to be as incognito as possible, keep as low profile as possible. And I look and I see you and Devere and like two of my favorite people in the world that I want to talk to. Are there, but I also noticed that you guys are together eating dinner, and I know that you're in from Seattle, so you've set up a spe- you've set up a time for yourself to, to talk with Devere, and you guys, uh, I would come to pick, I just come to pick my order. You guys were um, waiting; my order wasn't ready yet, and so you guys invited me to sit down. And we're talking, and I remember it was down, you guys like thirty over. seconds. You got you got your food, and you're like, okay, well, I'll see you later. And we're like, what are you doing? Come sit down. <laughs> right. So that's in my defense. In my defense, I will defend my. <laughs> my position you guys had just set decided to make dinner to get dinner together and i didn't want to take away from that time that you guys had like i felt like i i think that's a lot of times that happens in social social interactions where you know two people decide hey we want to get dinner together and then other people come and it, it happens with me if i get if i make plans to get dinner with 
with my certain friends and then it gets interrupted by it could be by somebody that I really like could be somebody that I really want to talk to but if I made plans or we made plans to get together and somebody comes and kind of bombs it that might bother me and it might bother the other person so I didn't want to interrupt and interfere and take away from time that you guys have sent together but also I should have maybe in a way myself known that you guys are two like good friends and would have made and when you guys said come sit down like we want to talk with you I gave you guys as many opportunities as possible <laughs> to do that and you guys didn't do it but I still felt like I was robbing you guys yeah, well, so I, first of all, I think that the notion of you robbing us is absurd. Um, but I do, I, I, I do hear where the concern comes from, because if I were in your shoes, I actually don't know if I would have done any differently. I actually don't know if I would have even stayed. Um, because nine out of 10 times when someone says, oh, hey, great to see you, you know, I'd love to catch up. It doesn't really mean, hey, it's great to see you, I'd love to catch up. It just means like, I'm going to be very friendly to you now and walk away, buddy. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I think you should know that between me and Vera, you know, we could probably count as one of the, one of the two of us counts as one of those, the, the, that those one in 10 that really means come sit down and hang out with us. But um, yeah, I, I, I definitely hear where the insecurity came from, but nonetheless, you should have known your audience and you should have known your crowd and known that, we actually would have, you know, we were so happy that you that you were there and to hang out with us. Right. I mean, listen, that, listen that's, that, that's what happens. That's why I wanted to bring this up because of create. we were talking about creating shared spaces. And I think that happens and we talked about it in, in, the, in the romantic dating aspect, but I think it completely overflows into life. And when life, you create real bonds and real relationships and real friendships. Like you two are two people that I care about very, very much. And like two people that I actually have real and cre- I believe I create as you put it and as uh, I want to give a shout out to Zach Lennick who brought up the topic in, 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 in his podcast um, creating a shared space I think that's why it works and I think I just I was just so my own insecurities came out and said I really think that they they want I tried to be as respectful as possible and maybe that's my own fault and I was projecting my own insecurities onto you guys so I was making it worse out in my head from your perspective because there's not and also isn't, isn't there in my head, maybe it's me. I'm, I was about to generalize and put it, but I've been doing that too often. Called my own, calling myself out there, where I was projecting the idea of people. I've seen it. I've heard people tell stories about where they're eating dinner or they're doing an event, and you have that one person who they don't really want there, but says, "Oh, hey, can I come?" Or sure, can I join? Sure, them? sure, sure. I, my, I don't know. It's my biggest fear, but one of my like fears is to be that person. I hate it. Right. I hate it. It makes me cringe when I watch somebody else do it. When I know about it it like physically and emotionally like hurts me. So to open myself up into that situation, to be that person, to be sitting where you guys invited me over and we sat there for like an hour and a half. They actually, do you remember this? They actually kicked us out because they had an event going on. <laughs> right. They gave us free sodas. <laughs> they gave us, and they gave us free, offered us free drinks and free cookies. Right. But I was so afraid of what it, of what it would have meant if I was that person. And I projected that onto two good friends, which is, I think a testament to how powerful those emotions and insecurities can be. And also to how devastating those negative. And I think that's play a part of how my anxiety manifested. So I want to actually, I, it, this thought just struck me. I don't think that you are wrong. I, you know, and I think that, you know, I mean, I actually think in a big part of anxiety, I, I, as far as my, as far as my understanding goes, and I'm by no means a professional, but I have a, a very close friend who actually is um, 
psych- uh, uh, a, a coach for industrial psychiatrist, psychologist, and um, and he and I talk an awful lot about. He he works for big hedge funds and banks and law and law firms and um, a big a big part of anxiety that he says is actually you know anticipating something that could be potentially harmful and you know and, and that and that and and, and and obviously triggers some kind of warning in your system and i think that because it's so frequent and so common for people to give you that bogus offer or you know or you know half-hearted invitation that i actually don't think that it's incorrect to feel nervous about it i actually I, you know because it's it, it's like you know if someone, if someone pulls out you know pulls out a gun or a knife chances are they're going to hurt you, you know, so you really should be scared, you know, and obviously it's a very different type of scenario, but on an emotional level, you know, nine times out of 10, somebody is getting hurt in that emotional scenario. So I don't think that it's, that it's wrong to feel that way. I don't think that it's wrong to be nervous about that. And I think, but, but I do think that, you know, after a certain level of, you know, reassurance that, you know, you can see that offer is genuine. You can see that, you know, really, we really would have liked to have you there. And, and, and at that point, you get comfortable and you sit down. And I think that at a certain point after a while, you did. And that's great. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, I think everything you just said is so, so right. Now, I don't want to – it's not about me, but I do like the – I think this idea of being that person, I think that, compl- I think that completely plays in anxiety. I think that's 100% correct. And I think it manifests in a lot of ways in social settings with people, with friend groups, right? I'm a big believer in – um, if you, let's say, right, let's say you're a group of four friends, four very close friends, and you guys used, maybe used to do everything together, and then you go out, and one night, but what if, what if one person wants to hang, what if two people in that group want to hang out together? Right. They want to go, let's say they want to go to see a movie together, let's say they want to go to dinner together, let's say they want to just do something together. It's not that they don't want the other two there, they're just, do they, are they not entitled? Oh, to sure. No, so abso- absolutely, time? absolutely. But if they, you know, so let's just, uh, again. You know, I, I, I live in a house right now with three roommates. <clears throat> uh, and yeah, I live in a house with three, with three roommates. And it'll be very often, uh, you know, the, 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 the situation will often come up that one of that two of us are making dinner together and a third one walks in. You know, it's not that we didn't mean to disinclude you from dinner. You were at work. You were going for a drive. You were in the park. You were doing whatever you were doing. And we have to be sitting down and making dinner. It's not that we want to specifically exclude you. Come join us, you know. Um, and and I think a lot of times with friends, it's like that. But if there were, if there was a scenario where, you know, if, for example, if a roommate and I were having a problem, or if my roommate was helping me get through a problem, which is far more likely um, based on our relationships. Um, I would say to them, listen, you know, Sam, like or Ari or Heim, you know, I. I, I love you guys. You know, I'm, I'm in the middle of a conversation right now that I really, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather just deal with just, just the two of us. And, you know, I'm happy to leave out the room. I'm happy to go somewhere else. But, you know, just for these next 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, I'm going, you know, I'm going to be spending my time with them. I hope you're okay with that. And that's it. Interesting. I mean, that's very mature. I think that's in theory, I think that works out really well. The problem with theory that I found is that emotions don't, aren't lot very logical and emotions are the opposite of logical most of the time sure sure i think it's also a matter of the way that you present it and i think you also have to know the person you're presenting it to and present it to them that specific way um, handle handle 
you have to handle well, it. Well, I said present it. I didn't say it. <laughs> well, I, I thought the first thing I was like, you got to, um, you got to handle the, you know, you got to handle but, people uh, but, sometimes. But that, in, that, in that particular case, it is considered handling because, yeah, I don't, not in a negative way, sure, but it is handling. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and certain things make people defensive and, certain, you know, very quickly. I, I know that I'm an incredibly defensive person and I often have to, my initial response is to be defensive and then I take a breath and then I say, okay, maybe I don't need to be. Um, but there's always, you know, but I mean, when so, someone that will know me better will say something in a way that I'm more receptive to hearing as opposed to someone that wouldn't know me better. And then I just, you know, I, I quote unquote fly off the handle in terms of just getting defensive and just say, no, you're an idiot, you know, or whatever it may be, you know. So uh, it's just a matter, I think, of also knowing your audience and knowing who, who you're dealing with. And I think that people are so subjective and that's what relationships are. So it's easier to do it with someone that you know better than a stranger on the street, which why it might, it might take some while to build up that trust. But I think that you would trust it, you know, to, to bring it full circle. Now, if Devir and I were sitting for dinner again and you walked in, you would, you would trust the fact based on the new depth in our relationship, whether it be via this conversation or the conversations that we had about this exact case since then, that you would know that I mean, that, that I would mean it if I said stay and you know that I wouldn't mean it. And that's the end of it. So, yeah. Yeah, true. I, I think if, if this situation, which I hope one day it does happen, <laughs> um, just because I love to run into you guys and see you, it's such a, such a it made my night. And I was just had an innocuous, well, probably a Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, maybe it was a month, one of the week, random weeknight yeah. where I was just going to grab dinner and go back to my apartment and not ha- really having nothing going on to having what ended up being a really great hour and a half conversation with two friends. So that was great. But I think what would happen would be initially, I would say the exact same thing that I said. And then, or, I probably do it the exact same way I have saying like, Oh no, like you guys are having dinner. Like you guys set this time up. You guys should have it. And you guys would say, no, like come right. sit down. And then I would, pro- then I'd either accept it on the spot. If I'm in a better place, if I'm in a little bit better place, I'd probably just say, guys, I love you guys. I'd love to sit down with you guys. But if you guys want to have this time, it will not hurt my feelings. If you just say, we need, we, we set up this time to talk, let's talk. And then we can get, to, maybe we can get together another time. That would be like, that's what I would say. And then whatever you guys had said, I think I'd give you the out if you needed it. Or if you guys wanted me there, then you'd say it, and then we'd go on. And sure. That would be our night, which I think is probably just how I'm wired right. for now. I'm re- trying to work on rewiring myself. but You can do it. <laughs> yeah. With just a little, just a little a lot, it's effort, time, and patience. Yep. That's right. That's right. So you talked about your, you know, your roommates in a house, and a lot of people may not I mean, know this, but I think it's, you guys have a very different situation because the four of you live in Seattle. That's right. That's right. Our, our lease, very unfortunately, I'm heartbroken to say, is coming to an end August 31st. Uh, it's August, what, 12th now? 13th? Um, no, I'm sorry. It's maybe 18th or 19th already. Either way, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Corona, with Corona, it's impossible to keep track of time. Um, yeah, they, actually, three of the four that were staying in Seattle, it's so wonderful. Um, I'm the only one that's going back right now. So you have, do you have, do you have the option to stay? Sure. I have the option to do anything I want. Good answer. Phenomenal answer, actually. So let's, well, I want to, I want to, I want for the listeners, I want to, I want, can you, if you don't mind, how'd you end up in Seattle? How'd that happen? Uh, so I'm from New York originally from a little town called Wesley Hills, which is right near Muncie. Um, and I spent all my life in New York and I was just dying to get out after a certain point. And I've always said I wanted to live in Florida. Um, I've always said I wanted to just leave New York. 
I've always, you know, and aside from our short year and a half that we spent uh, abroad together, we, uh, I, I, and, you know, I never left New York. I went to college, upstate New York. My family's, you know, there. I, I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan for a couple of months, and, uh, and I was dying to leave. And I, 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 nobody I knew was actively choosing to leave Manhattan. Everyone was moving from out of town, from Chicago, from Florida, from Texas, from wherever it may be to New York, uh, especially if you're, you know, a young, a young Jew that's looking to, that's looking to date. Um, New York is the epicenter of that. And it just wasn't, it, it just wasn't for me. And so my first, so one of my good friends from college uh, that lived in the same building as me for many years, he, uh, he got into grad school at University of Washington here in Seattle. And he called me and without any expectations, I don't think he even meant it as an invitation. I took it as one. He said, you know, I'm going to, I, I, I'm going, I'm going to school, going to grad school in Seattle. I don't know anyone there. I said, I'm coming. <laughs> I'll be there. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely down to come with you. You don't know anyone. You know, I want to die. I'm dying to try something new. And, you know, I want to leave New York. So give me five minutes. I called another friend who, I, who was working in Chicago at the time. He was miserable. He didn't like his job. And um, I actually have the privilege of working with my father in the family business. And, um, and we actually needed some extra hands with certain aspects of the online presence that we have. And my friend is, very, is a good coder. He's very creative. And he hated his job. It was the opposite of creativity. It was just boring and corporate. So I called him. I said, if you quit your job now, I'll hire you. Let's move to Seattle together. And he said, absolutely. <laughs> I'm in. So that next day, he started using his six day, all his sick days and all his vacation days. His office thought he was dead because he just like... He said he was sick for like a month and a half, and then he, um, then he quit. And and I and you know the next day I bought I bought a Toyota Prius, drove to Chicago, picked him up, and then we drove to Seattle to our new house. Yeah, no, so very casual. Like, yeah, people do that. No, that's very common. Yeah, and there's another know, roommate you know, that I had to convince. Um, he was also still in Binghamton, and um, he didn't know what he was doing this year. And he happens to love brewing. Uh, and Seattle is one of the centers of, of the brewery world. And uh, he used to make his homemade mead, which is honey wine. And I said, Sam, if you want to get involved in this, he said, three of us are going. And there's about 150 breweries in the Seattle zip code. You know, if you want, if you want to do this, now is the time in your life. He said, sign me up. So he came too. Well, I think, first of all, it's a testament to you that you surrounded yourself with three people that would say, let's go and mean it. Because a lot of people say they want to do these things myself included, would say we want to go do these things, would say we want to go move to Seattle and take an adventure. It could be anywhere. Right. You said yes. You knew three other people that said yes. Said All of you said yes. Put your actions where your mouth were. Move to Seattle for you. I can't Understand tell you that. how terrifying that was, by the way. I can, I, you know, I say casually and I say casually well, now because in hindsight it was amazing. I was, I, I spent sleepless nights. I find I and I remember I signed the lease. I signed the lease in the car for a house that we'd never seen in a neighborhood that we've never been in, in a state that none of us had been in. And we signed this lease, this commitment for a year to be in this house. We could, it could have been, there could have been dead bodies in the basement for all we know. Like, we literally knew nothing about this place. And, um, and I signed the lease. I look at my friend who was in the car with me at the time. And I said, I have no idea what we just did but let's just hope that it works out and 
he just, you know, gave me a shrug. He, you know, he didn't know, how, he didn't know any more than I would how much, you know, whether it would work out. And, and we just went away from there. But it was incredibly anxiety inducing. Yeah. I'm having my, my foot shaking as we speak right now. I'm starting, I'm, I'm on the, I feel like I'm about to have on the verge of an anxiety attack for you. And this was a year ago. Sure, 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 sure. So I don't know, your parents supportive? Uh, yeah. So they, they, they were. When I explained, I had a couple of reasons for wanting to go out here. Um, and we can get into them in a moment. But my, I, once I explained them to my mom, who is much more practical than my father, uh, my father is very much a go with the flow, you do you kind of kind of personality. So I told him he actually had more of a problem with it than I thought, but he didn't articulate it to me. Um, he was just nervous because he's like, "What? What does that even mean? You know, like, hey, you don't. <laughs> what does that mean? You're going to Seattle. What does that mean that you're getting a house? Does that mean? Like, you don't know anything about this place. Don't you want to check it out first? Don't you want to do anything? And then my mom, once I explained the reasoning to her, she said. By all means, you know, God bless. See you later. So, uh, so my parents, my parents were happy. And then as soon as I got there, and I saw that everything was really quite all right. And that, you know, even though, you know, we all have pictures in our head of like what cities outside of the cities have never been to look like, like, you know, like a dark, mysterious, shroudy place. It's just another city. At the end of the day, you know what I mean? There's downtown and there's, and there's, and, there's, and, there's, and you know, and there's suburbs and there's rural areas and, you know, you just find your way to navigate around. You find out where young people live and where the jobs are. And, you know, and then you just kind of work your way from there. It's just, it, it's just, just a city is a city at the end of the day. So it is. <laughs> it is. But for, for context, and if you're not part of, you know, if you didn't grow up in the modern Orthodox Jewish world as we did, you may, you may be hearing this and be like, oh, that's normal. But for people in our circles, we don't do that. We, we all migrate to the Upper West Side of Manhattan for the most part. Sure. As a as a breeding playground, sure, it's very incestuous too. Everyone dates everybody there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not. From what I hear, that's that's kind of what it is. I mean, I didn't really get in the game at all myself, but from stories that I heard, that's basically what it is. You go there to get mad. I wouldn't be surprised that once you start once you start going out more often, that I could that I wouldn't be able to tell you a whole lot about each girl that you went out with just because I went out with them myself at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Well. To be honest, it's my philosophy is I don't I personally don't want to know. Sure. And I'm um, just kidding. I'm just I, messing around. I, I, I just no, the likelihood, no, no, the likelihood of us overlapping with the same people is ridiculously high, is my point. Yeah. No, I, I hear that. It's, I mean, I listen, I went on uh, it's funny that you mentioned I went on one date. Uh, I went on a couple dates with this one girl back in this was uh, back in September. Um, and, you know, we went out on the upper. I stupidly took us. I went out on the upper West side thinking like, oh, I'm the only one who wants to go to this the spot it's a classic bar called ease i don't know sure, if you've heard sure. of it. yeah so well you mentioned your date so yeah i'm sure you've <laughs> I don't gone there yourself date, actually you're too creative you're, you're too creative oh sure you're not me i usually go billy joel contest on first dates of course <laughs> we'll get we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about billy joel uh at some point here but and i just wanted to bring it i wanted to bring this up just because we went on this one date and I'm, I'm i walk in we go to the back it's like a game bar it's good to know um and we, you know, we go in, I see somebody immediately that I know. And I'm like, I just look at my face. I'm like, oh, it's the last thing I wanted. Then I see another person come in and then another, it's like three, four people. And I'm like, this is just so weird. It's such a playground of dating. But the context that I wanted to give, it's besides the point, was that we don't do that. Right? We go to the Upper West Side for the most part, but nobody ever leaves unless you're married and you're going because either you got a good job there or because the girl's mother and her family lives in that place. Right. So you guys went, and you, like you said, you were terrified. 
I mean, I'm on the, I was on the verge of having an anxiety attack just hearing about it now. How did you, when you first got there, what was there, was, was it tough at first? What was it like? So thankfully it was not that tough because the Jewish community here is not, it's very old, but it's not enormous. And, you know, and when one person or a couple of people heard that a group of four single guys, none of them working in tech, you know, where Seattle is, where Amazon's located, Microsoft, Airbnb, Facebook, and, and none of them, these four single guys that are in their early 20s, none of them working in tech have just picked up from the tri-state area and moved to Seattle. Everyone is like, who are you? And, you know, and we, were, and we actually, the second that, I, you know, I walked into synagogue the first day that I was there, I was booked for, I was booked for meals for every weekend for about two months, just, just upon walking in. Um, and we actually ended up, we, it was actually very funny. We, I actually, smallest world, um, two girls that I went to high school with actually live here uh, in Seattle. And they heard they were coming. They said, this couldn't possibly be true. Like, why are you guys coming? But um, we moved in, I think on a Wednesday. Um, our house was furnished by Thursday and we hosted about four people for, for dinner on Friday night that first Friday night that we were here. <laughs> um, of course, of course you did. Right. Because, so, because that's you. It's just, yeah. I mean, you know, we're, and, and we actually used the excuse of we're tired, we don't want to go out as an excuse to host, which was, I don't know if that actually, I don't know if anyone actually ever bought it, but um, that's, that's just what we said. So, yeah. So now that we're, you know, at the year point, you're, you know, your lease is ending and in, in, you, you mentioned like August, um, in, it end. It's ending. Um, yeah, August thirty first. On reflect, I guess on reflection, uh, what? How would you summarize the experience? What did it do for you? It changed my life. It was. It was unbelievable. Um, one of the primary reasons that I came here was because, um, and I guess we can actually get you know into a very um, intense place very quickly, but let's go. We we could do it. Um, is I have a very difficult time, um, not only, obviously, like I said earlier, I believe, converting a thought into action, but I have a very difficult time um, with fear and doing things, uh, big steps voluntarily. Um, and even when I do big steps, I like to do them out of the box. For example, I did go to Binghamton um, you know, for college, but I actually couldn't have gone into Binghamton from high school because I didn't have the grades. So I went to community college for a semester, um, used the combination of the credits from community college for a semester and uh, you know, the, the, year, the, the gap, gap year program to apply to Binghamton without having to show my high school GPA, thank God, because they would have laughed at me. And, and, um, and only then was able to get in. You know, I, I, I was a creative writing major in college, which is not a very common degree at all. And practically useless um, when it comes to trying to find a job um, and I actually did get a couple of offers but I, I opted to work with my, with, my, with my father in the family business I went from being a creative writing major you know that's writing poetry all day to uh, a salesman uh, you know over the course of about two weeks and um, and, and, and just you know and, and you know from very many many different points in my life I, I, I do think I, I I, I wouldn't mind doing things that everyone else was doing. When it was time to go for a gap year, everyone I knew was going for a gap year. So it wasn't scary to do. When it was time to go off to college, I knew everyone was going. I had a lot of friends there already. 
it's what everyone does. But no one forces you to go and move across the country. That's a completely voluntary choice. And the choice terrified me because it was the because I, I, I was comfortable and life was easy. And, uh, you know, I was at the time I was floating back and forth between the city and home. And, you know, I was going in all the time, nonetheless, to, you know, I had all my, my, my very close friends. I was going on dates three, four nights a week. You know, I mean, I, I, I like my life is very simple and very, sorry, it's very easy and very comfortable, but I was missing something in it and I didn't know what it was. And I decided to try to take this route of doing something completely voluntary that has no real, like there's no, there's not common. No one, there's no reason for me to do it. Um, but to try to own it and to try to make the most of it and develop myself and add another, you know, layer of myself that I'd never would have been able to do if I didn't do this. And I can't, you know, I, I would, I, I, again, like I mentioned, I would, I'd sit at night and I'd stare at my ceiling and I was absolutely terrified. And I said, you know, and I, and I kept on thinking to myself, I could back out of this and I could not do this, but were you ever close? No, uh, you know what I would do actually. <laughs> I, there was um, there is a particular show, um, Bruce Springsteen on Broadway, and he talks about the first time in his life. He's you know he he says I'm Mr. Born to Run. I'm Mr. You know running away from home, running away from the world, always chasing the next adventure. And I would listen to one bit over and over and over and over. Every single time I got scared, I'd just keep on listening to him saying, "Your life is a blank is like a blank page laying before you, just daring you to write on it." And I'm thinking to myself, have I ever, ever dared myself to write on it more than I actually, you know, more than the basic filler lines, you know, I mean, everyone has the same prompts and a lot of people go through a lot of people, especially people I grew up with, go through the same experiences. So those are almost like fillers, you know, but am I, am I ever writing on this blank page? Am I ever doing it myself? And I concluded, you know, very, you know, much to my dismay. um, No. And I had to, and I had to do something about it. Holy cow, that's powerful. I mean, I remember when you uh, must have been a few weeks ago now, probably three, four, maybe three, four weeks ago, where you sent me a clip. Oh, sure. Of, Bill, right. of Bruce Springsteen talking about being down in the dumps, being at rock bottom. This is Bruce Springsteen. This isn't. This is a guy who's one of the most successful people in his in his most, industry ever. Yeah, in, in one of the most successful musicians ever, for sure. Ever talking about how he was down in his luck, talking about how close he was to throwing it all away and how he rose up and how he, you know, it's so easy for people to discredit people who accomplish things because you just see, usually, especially in music and in art and film, you usually see the end result of where they got to. You rarely, unless you're close up to it, see the struggle. And the journey, right. You see the pain. You see the suffering, you see, you don't see that unless you're up close and, 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 you, and, and you know them. And even then, you can know them. And a lot of people, I've watched it ruin friendships where one gets very successful, even though the other one saw them toil for years and, and, and struggle. But it's, we discredit people who rise to the top. And I, I, I've stuck with me since you sent it to me, watching Bruce Springsteen, a guy that never, I, and I believe this to this day, never forgot where he came from, how sure. close he was to not being who he was and it took inflection points and i i'm i'm a, I'm a big believer and then hearing you speak about you know taking this journey that 
that that making that decision is going to end up being a huge inflection point in your life and it's going to end up being what it's going to be something that you look upon that created whoever you're going to be right and again i you know even you know if you want to even go even more full circle back to i guess the beginning of the conversation in terms of this was a feeling that i absolutely had to feel the feeling of desperation the feeling of hopelessness the feeling of I literally, you know, what makes my life different than any other life in this world? What makes me a different human being than anyone else that I know? Because I seem to be going through the same exact routine as everyone else, and I'm doing the same exact thing. And, you know, and sure, you, you have different nuances. You have personality and friend groups and, you know, who you, you know, okay, fine. So you don't live on 85th Street. You live on 90th Street. Big deal. You know, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, but, <laughs> but um, you know, what, what you know, and, and just the sense of, I don't know. And, and, and I had to feel that. And then once I felt that enough, I was able to take a handle on it and point and, and, and grab the reins and say, this is now where I want to go with this. I'm going to use this feeling and I'm going to piggyback ride it towards something healthier and towards something bigger. And um, even and it's bigger for myself. You know, I mean, it's not like, you know, for a bigger cause or, you know, whatever it is. This is for myself. But if, if I wasn't feeling that, I never would have been able to take the reins. But if I never took the reins, I would have just been stuck feeling that way forever also. So I think you really need both. And, and I think you got to give a testament to all the work you did before going up to this point to be in a situation where you could say yes. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this story and be, feel like, oh, I'm and, and feel like people who are listening to this and are, can feel lost in their lives and say, I need to make some massive change in my life. I, maybe I should go, oh, he did that and it worked for him. Maybe I should go do that. And my warning is you got to be ready. You got to <laughs> have done the work to get there. Because if you could, cause, because I, I'm telling you this, two year, a year and a half ago, two, for sure three, four years ago, I would have heard the story and I would have immediately said, I have to go do this because if I move, it's going to fix everything in my life without doing the actual work, right? Sure. Without turning the emotions back, without dealing with my dealing with anxiety without dealing with my feelings becoming to a place where you're emotionally honest intellectually honest and understanding why you're doing what you're doing right so almost the exact opposite of that uh you know i'm sorry to interject real quickly the almost exact opposite of that is i had a i had a girlfriend in college we we dated for a while um a long time and when he broke up um i thought that what i was doing was taking and I you know I threw myself into anything in the world but thinking and feeling so I went immediately you know I was I was studying I was playing basketball I was running I was working out I was hanging out with friends I was I was doing everything in the world and I was thinking to myself wow I'm really doing great you know I'm thinking to myself I am just doing spectacular look at me you know I'm in better shape than before I am not thinking about her I'm, I'm having a great time you know uh, I'm okay and I never did the actual work I never did the feeling part and then about a year later, it all came cra- like you just built the foundation on something that was so unstable that it all came crashing down, you know. So, like, you know, I mean, this is just to emphasize the point that you're saying. You have to be prepared. Not every action, you know, I mean, you could build as high as you want. But if the foundation of what you're building on is not reliable, then it's very quick to come tumbling down and very quick to come crashing down. And it leaves you in a worse place than before. For sure. And even, I mean, 
I love, I love, I mean, I, I'm sorry that that happened to you. But <laughs> I, I think, no, but I think it's so important to, to value it, right? Because you can feel right uh, everyone. I personally don't know from it, but it's what I imagine. Like, right, people tell you, right, you got to get out of your house, you got to shake it up. But no one, t- no one, right, when somebody comes to you, for the most part, the advice they get is, I mean, they, people, someone comes to you when they're in pain, right? They're emotionally hurting, if, if it's after a big breakup, something, something devastating in their life. No one's advice is feel. Feel it. Pro- like, sometimes you have to distract yourself because it hurts too much in the moment, but eventually you have to feel sure. and you have to feel those emotions. Listen, I know it from personal experience myself. I turned them off. I, listen, when I say turn them off, you know, I, I just use the, um, I just think of it as like a faucet where I was emotionally unstable for the, not unstable, like and crazy, but like I was, I, all my, I was emotions, emotionally driven for the first 20 years of my life, probably through, yeah, through when we met in Reishi. Um, then I just, I was, I just in a lot of pain. My life wasn't any better just making my own emotional decisions. I was actually like, I was making bad not necessarily the best decisions. I was just a mess. I mean, I was very pure raw emotion. You know, then I just, I taught myself. I started studying, um, started reading a lot about emotions. Um, I ignored all the actual, you know, key points they make. Okay. They talk about how to control emotions. So I take the really smart things, but I wouldn't actually take what they're saying to heart. I would just stop in the middle and say, oh, if you do this, you control them. And I learned how to stop myself. I taught myself basically how to shut the faucet off. Right. So I, but I, so I limited myself from feeling badly or negatively. But then also from feeling good. good. Right. Which is the catch 22. And I remember talking with my, I, I was, I've been, I was, I stopped when COVID hit just cause I didn't want to do, I don't believe in tele. I, 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 for me, I can't do telehealth for, for therapy. And if anyone's interested in doing therapy, I'm very pro it. I did it for like three years when I had major anxiety attacks in college. Uh, when I spoke about that in, in some other podcasts, number three, my stories where I went in full detail on it, but I was having real problems. I remember talking to my therapist about, I was very, I'd gotten to a point, right? That I was 20 years old. Now I'm going to therapy. I'm about 23, probably, probably two, three years ago when I graduated. I graduated on August 18th. I think I, I think I started in March 2018. Mm-hmm. So, whatever, do the math yourself. There, um, I, I was having panic attacks, and I, I remember going in and saying, basically, for the last three, four years, I kind of shut my emotions off. And I don't know, and I'm kind of worried. And by emotions, I mean, I, I didn't, I couldn't feel the way that I think people felt. I, I limited myself from being exposed. Nothing could really hurt me except for me. Sure. And I could, sure. but I wasn't incapable of feeling that. I'm a rock. That. It's the Simon and Garfunkel song. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, re- I don't really know oh, them gosh. that well. Okay. Honest, but Forget yeah, it. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I, listen, everyone rips on me for my music taste. Listen, One Republic, The Fray, that's pretty much me, man. I, I don't really listen to much music anyway. I'm, because of actually emotions, because a lot of it sure, brings up sure, painful sure, memories. Of course, of course. It, it kill, like, really kills me right. a lot. Of, there's some songs that I, there are parts of my time where I couldn't listen to the music because it brought back really strong, I associated them with memory. Right. Um, so, my, but my greater point is, I t- right, with emotions, right, you can try and turn them off all you want, but they're still there. They build up over time. If you don't use, uh, if you don't use a sink or you don't use, I'm just using the faucet example, if you don't use a sink, it starts to rust. And when things get rusty, it doesn't, it, it, when it takes a lot of work to turn them back on. And I was, I remember sitting there and going, like, I think I'm, I'm very worried about what happens if I don't turn them on soon. How do I, and I started asking, like, how do I start to feel again? And, you know, there was never any real answer there because it was up to me to actually start losing. Cause a lot of it asking that question of, of emotions, it's all control, right? Turning them on, turning them off. It's all about, I want the control. Sure. So I actually had to answer my own question by, starting to lose control a little bit. And I think COVID and 
it might be a little messed up way to say it actually kind of helped uh, losing my job in November in a way um, may have helped also because I was miserable in that job anyway. And it actually gave opened up the time for me to process emotions and feelings and started to actually, you know, live life, but it definitely brought a lot of embarrassment and shame. You know, when people ask you oh, what you're doing, you don't have a job. Right. Kind of sucks. But COVID COVID's the ultimate wild card, right? It kind of stopped everything. People, I was, I lost control. I didn't have control anymore. And how I responded to it told me I was a lot better off than I thought I was. I started to feel again. So apologies for that uh, ramble. No, but my bigger point is, I think, I think the whole thing with control and emotions is that if you, the only way to actually, and I think it, way now just went full circle as we spoke about earlier um you know it can be with relationships and dating it can be with friendships but i think you know your anxiety gives you that sword right right your anxiety that voice inside your head is actually can be your best friend but it can also be your biggest enemy right and you can when you're vulnerable it can you can open yourself up to that to that anxiety and it can either kill you or it can help you sure 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 absolutely so I want to now switch. Actually, I want to stay in music because I actually want to hear what you're. I mean, we talked about Billy Joel for a little bit, and we and, and there's an idea now that I, I brought it up. I want I, maybe I'm a crazy person, maybe I'm not. It'd be nice to know if I'm not the only one who does this. But music association that happens to other people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm incredibly God. selective with who I share my music with because if that relationship goes sour, I don't want the value of that music to go down in my in my head. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's. So if I have a song that I love more than anything, right, and I start going out with a girl, until like date number seven or eight, you know, like, I'm not sharing any of my music with you, man, because that's too valuable. Like, I'll I'll tell you about my past, I'll tell you my history, I'll tell you whatever you want to know, you know. I but that but that is that that's so precious to me. But that, don't touch your music, right? But, wow. but you cannot. I will not let you take this, you know, this association, and you know, and of of course, of course, it happens anyway. And it takes you time to get over. Um, I actually, there was actually when my first girlfriend in high school, there was a girl, there was, there was a song that I loved and, um, you know, and I, I'd play, I wouldn't, I don't even think that I ever played it with her, but I always played it thinking about her. And then we broke up and I, I just, I, I couldn't listen to that song forever. And I remember thinking to myself, I am never going to do this again with another song. Like, I, I just, I can't, you know, and then, Actually, the next girlfriend was a whole artist. It was James Taylor. I could not listen to him ever again. So, you know, I really, I really, I really screwed up on that one. But, <laughs> but, yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, no, but that music association thing's real. I, I mean, I love like people make make me fun of me, but I really like the band One Republic. I think they've got a lot of really good songs that I like. And I could have listened to the song Good Life, sure, um, which I listened to the summer between my sophomore and junior years, like well, the war, like the worst summer of my entire life. Right. And I've listened to it all the time that summer. And it's I ruined wasn't, now, right? I, no, so now I'm like, I, I think I'm emotionally healthy now because now I can listen to it. I've dissociated the song from the moment. I guess I, I guess if I was a therapist or some doctor who knows these things, I mean, I'm no expert. I just, I'm an expert. I am. That's the thing I also want to say. You're talking about, you know, you're no expert. You're an expert of you. And I'm, I've spent 25 and a half years with myself. I know exactly how my brain works at this point. For the most part, I know who I am. I was clearly, I know, I've gotten to a point where I'm healthily dealt with whatever trauma that that I couldn't listen to that song with earlier because I associated with that moment or that memory of that summer that I've clearly put that away or dealt with it healthily enough that I can that that has released that song from its grasp you're a bigger man than I am 
Well, <laughs> physically, physically, not even close. No, not not quite. But that's you know, who not cares even about in that? a little, not even a little bit. Um, for now, uh, it's interesting just getting them. I'm just glad I'm not the only person who, who thinks that. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, I, I, it happens to be that um, I I live and breathe music. Um, I listen to it all day at the office. There's actually a customer that calls that I've already known a couple. You know, I've already spoken to a couple of times. The, the chances are very high that I pick up the phone still singing the lyrics and um, maybe unprofessional, but it's also a little endearing, which I think helps my case. And, and um, sure, why not? And um, yeah, and but but I, I, I connect very so I so I'm listening all day. I connect very strongly to lyrics. I connect very strongly to you know the way that music's played and also the past the, the storyteller himself. Um, you know, and because. Music, I mean, you know, it's actually a fascinating thing because you end up seeing yourself in lyrics and in music very frequently, which is why we love it, you know, and, you know, and you can feel a love for a musician without and 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 you actually don't even have to fight, you know, with the usual nuances of a relationship that you have to put up with with the song. You don't have to put up with whether it's whether the singer, you know, doesn't clean up after himself whether he does you know whether he does it whether you know you don't usually i mean until i guess relatively recently their political opinions you know stayed aside what their thought on social issues generally stood on the side and you know and, and a lot of things that would make you know a lot of personality quirks that you know you even if you met them in the street you may not have liked them it doesn't exist when you create music because you're just creating something to share in without all that so Hmm. Um, you know, so for example, you know, if you and I were to talk and I, were, and I were to notice that there's something really annoying about the way you spoke, you know, that, or, you know, something really annoying, you always were, seemed to be down, always seemed to just look at the worst way, you know, the worst perspective on things or things are just, you know, ne- nothing's ever good, you know, and I'd say, you know, this kid is just not someone that I could hang out with, you know, but then you were to write a piece of poetry or a piece of, of music or, or, or a lyric, you know, and I don't even have to know you, but I could connect with you. I'm skipping that a, a lot of those steps. So a lot of music is very special to people, you know, even subconsciously, they're not even aware of this point. But because of that, because you don't have to deal with the nuance of personality and the nuance of who that person is, and you're just sharing a common thought or a common rhythm or a common motif. Um, you know, so, so that's something that I think that is actually why music is so special to a lot of people. And, you know, when I get involved, I get like, you know, for example, I used to listen to a ton of Bob Dylan. Um, and then I used to listen, you know, I used to read his lyrics while I was listening to his music. And I used to have every, you know, all his albums on vinyl and on Spotify. And, and then, you know, and then I started watching interviews and the guy was just a straight up schmuck, excuse my language. Um, he was just, he was just a, not a nice guy. And it made it very difficult to, to continue listening to him because that actually, you know, I, I, I crossed the boundary between the music and between the man. And and I couldn't listen to him after, you know, I, I re, you know, you read a situation and, you know, I mean, and, and someone, someone, you know, an artist betrays someone or someone says something that's politically against what you think or, you know, and, and all of a sudden you can't listen to them anymore. Why is that? It's because your relationship has now gotten more depth and you and, and, and you actually realize that the relationship is not what you can't relate the same way and you can't share with them the same way. Interesting, because that's so. It's very true, and I actually I think you kind of just went full. You, I'm going to take this even more full circle. <laughs> I'm going to stick with you. What you were talking about, right? If you're a person who does, you mentioned those three things, right? If you're 
not pleasant to be around your sad all the time or all those things that it's hard to be around people like that. Well, I'm going to take this all the way full circle that we started this podcast when I set, set the scene of what we, you know, we went to that park and I'd argue that our friendship actually started when I was all three of those things. And yet you still never <laughs> gave up on our friendship in a way. Somehow we were able to cultivate and create a space where we can share because I'd argue, I'd put up our quality of conversations up against any conversations I had during that 18 months or whatever it was that we spent together in Israel. So I'd argue that so we found, but so we found, so we found enough common ground that it was worth not so that, so that, right. that, that even if at the time you were like that, there was enough common ground for me to assess the relationship and say, this is still something I'm interested in investing in. And now it might be, <coughs> excuse me, you know, it doesn't have to be a best friend in the entire world and it doesn't have to be, you know, a worst enemy, but you know, it's definitely something that's definitely worth pursuing still. And, you know, and that's why actually, you know, when you, when you, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm into, into a musician, for example, like Bruce Springsteen, we talked about, you know, how he used to say, you, you know, even you told me the growing up story and he talks about how he almost failed and how he just, he felt hopeless. You know, that's something that people relate to. So now you're seeing more than just the performers. Now you're seeing something else that, you know what, that guy is like me too. And I really could have, you know, I could feel more, something more real than just the music because I feel like I'm lost and I feel like I, I have no idea what's going on with myself. And so his taking that moment to be vulnerable and talk about his vulnerability makes him more relatable and makes the relationship between the audience and himself or the listener and himself a lot more authentic than most other musical experiences that people have. I mean, you just shut me up. So yeah, uh, I got nothing more. <laughs> I got nothing more to say. Um, so Effie, I've had a, a couple last two questions as we wrap things up. One is I'm always curious. Um, I know why I do this and I know why I want to do this, but I'm always curious. Why, why did you want to come onto the podcast? Why did you come on? I wanted to come on because from the first episode that I heard, which I think was with Freud, um, Andrew Freudenberger, um, I was blown away. And it was not just, and I, I think the reason is because when people hear other people being vulnerable and other people being open, you know, I cannot compare anything that I went through in my life, thank God, with anything that Freud went through. Or, you know, any, any, anyone else in their life that has real challenges. You know, I don't have anxiety, you know, like Avi said that he had, you know, but, um, but to know that other people are there and are vulnerable and are going through it makes it something that is, that is accessible, makes it something that is okay, makes it something that gives you, gives you a place of sharing and a place of here is someone and something and I'm not alone in this world and I'm not the only one and I, and I, and I, and I can talk about it and I'm not embarrassed and I'm not scared and I, I am scared. I'm scared. <laughs> I have no idea what to do about it but I'm going to figure it out because I'm not the only one going through it. I'm not isolated. And, you know, and so whatever, you know, experiences that, 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 that I could have gone through that we talked about or anything that, that, that you mentioned, I just figured that the more content is out there, the more storytelling and the more sharing there is, the more likely this is going to have a very positive impact on the world around you. And I really believe very strongly in this podcast. I believe that you, you're doing an amazing thing. And I believe that it's going to be a really big thing. And I really believe that anyone that listens to this could tell immediately there's just a, there's just a, a passion. There's just a genuine, a genuine feel that, that you really want to do something. You really want to share and you really want to create something very special and you can't fake authentic, authentic, authenticity. 
You can't, you cannot fake it. Um, and it's something that's immediately detectable. So I wanted just to share and I wanted to just be, you know, get the opportunity to, to be a part of it. I'm, I'm really, it's very selfish. I'm really, no, I, I think it's okay <laughs> to do things for you, if, but they also help other people. I, I found this to be true. I, I think that for every person that comes on, they inspire somebody else. It's a, sometimes it's a direct effect of one person comes on and one person says, I want to come on. But I think there's a culminating effect where people see other people and listen to other people talk about it. Listen, I, I, I always thought for many years that I was alone. I thought I was the only one who dealt with these issues. That's because I was egocentric and I was a dipshit and I was an idiot. I, I don't think you were egocentric. I, I think was you're an just idiot. another human being. You're another, you're, you're another isolated person yeah. growing up in a world without, with, that, that, that did not acknowledge it yet. Yeah. That's it. It's not your fault. Robert, you're going to Robin Williams me on my own podcast? I, I might. Sorry. <laughs> a hunting there? No, but I, what I, my point was I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one who thought this way. So I didn't. I, didn't I, I was very lucky to have a very close family friend, um, a friend's very close friends, um, parents who were very open and were always able to, I was always, I was always, I was always able to talk about these issues with, and I'm very close to these people to this day and they help, they've helped me out. I'm not, this podcast isn't here without them. I'm not who I am without them. So I'm very grateful to them. But uh, my point is being, uh, so I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, but it's, it means everything to hear people come onto this podcast and, and to open up. I mean, for me, it's, I, I, I get it. So such a range of characters too. So many characters. It's crazy. No, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm very blessed to have friends that have come on. I'm very blessed to have people that I'm not that close to that have reached out that are coming on. I want to get better at this. I'm trying. I want more more people to come on. I'm so appreciative that you came on, and I want to give you the um, I'm going to give you the platform now. Just to, if you have any final final messages to say to to people who are listening, what would you like them to know? Um. I think, I, I think, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess the main thing I just, you know, I mean, we could talk about things for, you know, talk about well, you're, a lot of you're things gonna for come, a very you're gonna long come, time. Let's be honest. You're going to come back on. Like, don't, if, you'd, if you'd have me, if you'd have me. Hundo but, pay, um, hundo pay. I think that based on this, based on the context of this conversation, it's just, you know, being the change in your life that you want to see. Meaning I wanted to see something different in my life and you know a lot of people say that if i had you know i would love to do it but you know and a lot of times you know you 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 can talk and philosophize and and think and you know cry and wish um but when it comes to actually even taking a little step towards making it happen we kind of freeze up and even the smallest things even you know just even even the smallest physical manifestations of turning that desire into reality will change your life um and just you know it, it's terrifying but you're not the only one that's afraid you know everyone that does anything is afraid um and not to let that hold you back i like it uh effie thank you so much for coming on to the podcast i really appreciate it i know you're going to come on again at some point very soon my brother pleasure is all mine thank you thank talk you. later Bye. Thank you to Effie for coming on to the podcast and sharing your thoughts and feelings with us. I found the conversation to be really strong. I'm still processing a lot of what you said and how it affected my life. Um, I'm really, really grateful. Thank you so much. If 
anybody out there is listening and is interested in coming onto the podcast, I would love to have you on. Please reach out, find somebody who knows me, reach me through Facebook, any way, shape, or form. I'd really love to hear what you have to say. If you know anybody that's a mental health professional that is that would be interested in coming on, please connect me. I'd love to get them on. I'm really trying to showcase perspectives and stories from anyone and anyone and help facilitate these conversations because I believe in it so, so much. I'm really appreciative to you guys. If any feedback, what do you guys think of these episodes? What are some things, topics that you'd be interested in hearing about? What are the things that I'm not doing that you think I could be doing better? I really want to hear it. I'll take it to heart. I guarantee you that. But really, really, really just grateful for you guys for listening. Uh, thanks so much. Please, if you can, subscribe on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening. Um, maybe if you're willing, give it a review, a like. And um, if you're willing to share it with one person in your life that you think could benefit from this kind of content. And if you haven't listened to the other episodes and, you're in, and you like these last few ones, please go back and listen to them. There's a lot you'll take away. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much.